Hey gang, I'm Nikki LaCroce, and you're listening to Who the Fuck? A show that explores the power of human connection and the profound resilience of the human spirit through compassionate conversations that help you better understand yourself so you can live with the sense of peace, purpose, and joy that you deserve. Each episode offers a safe space for guests to share intimate details of their personal journey and lessons learned along the way as we all seek to answer life's most important question. Who the fuck am I? Hey gang, I'm Nikki LaCroce and you're listening to Who the Fuck. And on today's episode, I'm sharing the mic with Gabe Dorita. And Gabe left his tech job in 2017 to travel the world by bicycle and in the process found his calling in coaching. He's now honored to work full-time as a purpose alignment coach and also does leadership development facilitation, helping individuals and teams make effective connections with themselves and with others. His work is rooted in neuroscience-based co-active coaching, authentic relating, and mindfulness with a spoonful of Japanese philosophy on top. Welcome to the show, Gabe. Thanks for having me, Nikki. I know it's been a long time coming. Uh, Yes. Finally be here. Yeah, same. Um, Well, I feel like one of the things that was really impactful from when we first spoke and has stayed with me is the way that we both show up in conversation and the desire to help other people live more authentically. We bonded over a shared um, historic career in tech and leaving that (laughs) to pursue our passions. So I thought maybe that could be a good jumping off point. Like what ultimately led you from your tech job into the work that you're doing now? Yeah, I agree. And I think there's an increasing number of people in the world that are taking that leap, but I have a belief that like more of us need to do it. Yes. Uh, We'd be living on a very different planet if we had more permission to pursue purpose in our work. Um, And I'm excited to really see this concept becoming more and more mainstream. And maybe that's just my bias and my perspective, because it's something that's important in my life. You know, you kind of start to see what you're looking for. Um, But I do think there's a real uh, shift and sea change happening around integrating purpose into the workplace um, and making it a deeper part of our lives. But when I made that choice, it didn't feel like it was something that I, you know, heard a lot about. And it was honestly really hard um, to make that shift for myself because I didn't really know what I was heading towards. You right. know, I didn't have a clear answer to that question of like, what is that purpose or that deeper meaning that I that I wanted to pursue? But I had a sense that something was missing. Um, I talk about it a lot. I call it spiritual inflammation now, which is just sort of this sense of like something's off, right? I'm having this like allergic reaction to my life or like there's this thing that's gnawing at me, but I haven't quite defined it. Or, you know, the the things that I like should want that I have aren't satisfying me. Well, um, should, should want is its own statement, right? right? You heard the magic <laughs> word, the S word, the should word, right? <clears throat> I think that I did have a lot of unexamined internalized beliefs about what would make me happy. Mm. And so I had, you know, the illustrious tech career. I was living in San Francisco, this city I thought still thinks one of the best places in the world. Like it's just this kind of glamorous place to be. Um, I had a wonderful relationship with a a woman I thought I was going to marry at the time. And I had like a lot of friends around me and a big community of support. Um, But it was just not like there was something that was missing. And, you know, the relationship was kind of stagnating and, and we were struggling in some important ways in our relationship. Um, We weren't really happy, uh, you know, in the way that I think each of us wanted to be. And in my job, I was also starting to just kind of get like 
a little jaded, a little tired, like every day going to work felt like a bit of a struggle. You know, there wasn't that like get out of bed in the morning and that fresh excitement. It really took me a lot, <laughs> um, a lot of coffee and a lot of alcohol pretty much each week to, to make it work. Now I can um, understand that trade alcohol for weed. And I was in the same boat. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You're just like, I noticed there was a lot of dissociation going on. Mm-hmm. Um, and I just felt this kind of like pit of the stomach feeling that like, if I didn't act on that, that urge to pursue what was missing, that a door might close forever. Um, mm. And I was turning 30 around that time. And I was sort of just like, it just felt like this moment of reexamining my life. And I remember riding home from work one day um, in like late December, like right before the Christmas holiday started and just being like, next year, I, I have to go. You know, like if I don't leave now, I may never get out. I may never, this opportunity may never come again. Um, Can I interject for a second and ask when you, when you hear, or sorry, when you say this opportunity would never come again, you weren't pursuing something specifically with that opportunity. Did you feel Mm -hmm. like it was, if you didn't take the opportunity to exit the comfortable situation, the the knowns and pursue the unknown? Is that what you're referring to? Yes, I think the way I would phrase it, not like pursue an opportunity, but if I didn't answer that deeper call, I felt like at that soul level, mm-hmm. like I'm even getting a little emotional recalling it now. Like if I if I said no to myself again, I may not ever say yes. Yeah. Oh gosh, I totally understand that resonates a lot. And I appreciate your vulnerability and to be able to be witness to a moment of remembrance for what that felt like, because it's something that is embedded so deeply within me and my own experience as well. And like you said, a lot of other people have that longing, that desire, that knowing that what they're doing isn't the thing that they should be doing, the actual thing that they should be doing, the thing that feels right. Um, And so when you step away from it and you can look back on that, it's really profound, um, a, a great sense of personal growth, even if you're not looking at your life through the lens of, well, what am I doing right now? But what you did was you listened to what your soul needed and you, your goal was to fulfill that instead of whatever these preconceived expectations were. Yeah. And it was terrifying um, because I think I fought it tooth and nail for probably (laughs) years. Like I felt it coming for a while, but there was that one day where I was just kind of like, if I don't answer this, then it's like, I may never do it. Um, but I really like it required this terrifying, uh, deconstruction, you know, like I really, I had to take apart everything that I relied on. Um, I left, you know, a seven year relationship. I left a six figure job. I left a community of people who supported and cared about me. I left a beautiful apartment that, you know, I would never be able to get back to like that beautiful condo with off street parking, washer dryer, (laughs) you know, like all the things. Right. So, and then I just rode off, literally rode off into the sunset on my bike. And it was kind of like, okay, now what? I had no fucking clue what would happen next. And so that was actually the hardest part about it was stepping away from the known um, mm-hmm. and, and making that choice uh, because there wasn't anything waiting for me, you know, and I had no idea what, what would happen next. So what got you on your bike? What was the inspiration or the catalyst for recognizing that that was where you wanted to take the next part of your journey? Yeah, I think, well, now I'm reminded of the way I phrased my answer earlier was said like, if I don't take the opportunity, um, I think that was maybe the only thing that felt like an opportunity was an opportunity for long-term cycle travel. Um, I had, cycling was pretty much 
the centerpiece of my life when I lived in the Bay for 10 years. Most of my community was from the cycling community and from the Burning Man community. Um, and I had just done a ton of tours. You know, me and my partner had ridden from Portland to San Francisco. I had done a bunch of rides around the Bay, uh, you know, bike camping or these longer rides with a group called the Randonneurs. It's like just self-supported long distance cycling. And so it was something I felt like I was kind of in love with and I wanted to devote more time to. And I thought, wouldn't it be cool to just kind of get out there and ride my bike in all these places that I've dreamed about riding for for years, but never have had the time to do it. So that was kind of the the reason to to get out where like the thing that I could at least start doing immediately after I took my life apart was like create a lot of spaciousness to just slow down and move at this more natural pace. Yeah. Um, and I think that was part of what made it so potent for me was like, like I went from this breakneck you know, 70 hour a week tech job to like, the only thing I have to do today is ride my bike to somewhere that I can fall asleep. Yeah. Um, and it just became this cycle of like falling asleep with the sunset, waking up with the sunrise. I wasn't planning much beyond like what the 50 miles in front of me looked like. And it just became this exercise of like perpetual intimacy with the present moment, mm. which was so different than how I was living before. It felt like I was living in fast forward before yes. that. Oh, that's um, a great way of describing it. Um, I love that you stated that so eloquently about being in the present moment too, because I, having spent most of my career in tech and realizing, you know, everything that you're doing needed to be done yesterday and yeah. the deadlines are set by the whim of some board member who has no actual participation in the day-to-day -day activities of what you're doing and you grind and you grind and you grind. And something that you said at the beginning of the conversation was like being dissociative. It was like, you just kind of are doing what you need to do to get things done to survive. And I think it's hard for us to recognize, especially when we're in the thick of it, how much of a survival mode that we're in, in our careers. And to really listen to what your soul was calling you to do and to have something that like energetically felt right to you in cycling and, and bringing you to these new places is something that I find really admirable and, and really inspiring because not everybody can kind of take that step back and that objective view and recognize like, this is the balance that I'm seeking because you're so imbalanced when you're in a tech role like that. Yeah. And several things you said really sparked a lot in me around what mattered about that experience. And I think part of finding purpose and anybody who's really looking for that, the first step is learning how to listen, uh, mm -hmm. you know, really listen to yourself. And that was a big part of the cycling journey. You talked about survival mode. That was like literally true on the bike, <laughs> yeah, right? Yeah. So like, I think the survival mode was still there, but it was in a very different way in a survival mode of like, where am I going to find a safe place to sleep tonight? How am I going to, am I carrying enough water, right? Mm -hmm. Where can I buy food? You know, these, these, these literal survival questions that were, that, that forced my brain into a different type of thinking. More primal. Um, yeah. Yeah. Very primal. And, and very like, I, I, I joke about this all the time about the film Glenn Gary, Glenn Ross. Have you ever seen that? Mm -mm. It's, it's this famous sales movie with this like this brutal sales leader played by Alec Baldwin, Baldwin. And he has this opening scene where he's like drilling in these new recruits, like ABC, always be closing. 
And that's like, you know, he's like talking about, you know, how to sell real estate or whatever. And I switched it to ABF, which is like always be foraging, right? Because I was out <laughs> on my bike, just like wandering around looking for food. Um, you know what I mean? And like, ooh, I think I could like pick those grapes over there. There's some figs or I can eat yeah, those. Yeah. Mushrooms. So like it did kind of got a little feral there for a while. <laughs> <laughs> but that was like my new motto. I like shifted from my sales career of ABC, always be closing to like, just ride your bike, just be foraging, just like be curious about, you know, what the, horizon holds for you, but mm-hmm. it was still about survival, you know, just in a different way. And I think it reframed my relationship to some of the processes that like, you know, now I I'm back to some of the old stuff right? of like running a business and getting clients and selling and enrolling people in programs, but it, it, it feels a little more playful now. It feels lighter. Mm. Um, I think because of the contrast that it had with the experience of living on the, on the bike. Do you think it also has to do with the business part of it is now something that is more connective for you to your soul, to your desire to make an impact in the world versus trying to execute on somebody else's vision? Because for me, that was always a really hard thing to reconcile in my other roles was I I would always say I want to work for myself. And a big part of that was not a lack of desire to have community in a business, but to not feel beholden to somebody else's desires or expectations or demands, but rather contribute in a way that felt more organic and right to me. Yes, I agree with that. And I think it boils down to like the belief you have in your product. And so I did have a sales job that I really liked and I was really successful at because I believed in the product. Mm -hmm. Uh, and then I changed roles to a different company where I didn't have as much belief in the product. I mm-hmm. still learned some things about it, but there were pieces about it that didn't quite fit for me. And totally I, get that. I struggled, you know, to really be successful in that role. Whereas now, like with my coaching practice, I am a product of my product, right? Mm-hmm. And I live a lot of the stuff that I try to support people with in my work. And I deeply believe in the effectiveness of some of these, you know, processes. Like we could talk about authentic relating and some of these other well, I wanted to dive into that. So feel free yeah. to share a little bit about like what, yeah. what is authentic relating? How does that play into your practice as a coach? Yeah, but I'd, I, I'd love to share a little bit more about that. But just to finish that thought around, Sorry. well, no, it's okay. Like why, you know, why I love doing what I do or how I get motivated. It does come from that place of like soul alignment. You know what I mean? Of mm-hmm. like, this is something that I think is transformational. Um, and I'm an Enneagram seven, which is like the enthusiast. And it's like, you, you just find what you love and try to give it to as many people as you can. Yes. yes. And that's like, it's almost this childlike thing of like, Hey, I found this cool bug. Do you want to go look at it with me? It's like, I, I love this thing and I want you to have it. Yes. Um, Feels easeful, you know, to share and to sell and to kind of promote what I'm doing in many instances, because I, I love it. And I want other people to have it uh, because I care about it. I care about me and I care about them. Uh, And so I think that's really where that motivation comes from. I love that. I, I think it's so incredible to, to hear you explain that part, because it's something that I feel so viscerally um, in the way that I desire and hope to make an impact is that you referred to it before as like, it has a playfulness to it. And I think that excitement, that organic excitement that you get when you're doing something that you love, or you feel the positive impact of something that you've done and that ability and desire to communicate it and share it with other people. And to do that through different ways of connecting is so empowering to the person who's sharing it, but also to the people who are receiving it. 
Yeah. And I think playing on that theme of connection would be a good place to pivot to the authentic relating stuff, because that's really what it's about. Um, it's about the, I, the people who taught it to me describe it as the art of being human. Mm. Um, and so, <clears throat> and that's the name of their company, Art International, right? Authentic Relating Training International. But the the basic premise is that it's it's creating more space for connection with your experience and with others' experience. And it's a it's a practice of presence. It's a practice of creating depth and intimacy. And it's a practice of revealing and accepting what's arising. So all of these things are really, they're also really good coaching skills. <laughs> so like yeah. they're they are fun to play in games or connection experiences or just have it as a common language in a relationship, whether it's a business partnership or a you know romantic partnership or a friendship. They're good in all of those contexts, but particularly for people who work in some kind of support profession or, or work as a coach, a therapist, something like that. These practices really create a lot of depth and skill um, as well. And they're super simple. The first is to welcome everything, which doesn't mean that like we have to love everything that's happening. It just means that like we're here for it, right? Mm -hmm. We're open, we're available, we're welcoming that discomfort without having to like jump into fix it mode or change something about it right away. Yeah. We just have the capacity to, to hold it and be with it without getting like sucked into strong emotion or, or unskillful choice with what's a little happening. bit of observation. Yeah, not not detached, not right. aloof, but you're able to kind of be in that seat of the observer. For mm -hmm. those who are familiar with like a meditation practice, it's the concept of equanimity, mm -hmm. right? You're able to just be with what's arising um, without clinging or aversion. You're just kind of with it in a presence way. So that's yeah. the first practice. Yeah. Can the I second, ask how mm -hmm. you how you first came to find out about this? Um, I guess program or or. This body oh, of work? Body of work. Thank you. Yes. Yeah. yeah. Um, I was at a men's circle in Bali and one of the guys in the group just said, hey, we're I'm going to go to this workshop. My friend's giving it this weekend. Do you guys want to come? And me and my buddy Noah were like, that sounds cool. Let's go check it out. Probably in the back of my mind, I was like, I bet there's going to be some beautiful girls there. And like, you know, something like, yeah, sure. Cool relationship. They want to relate authentically. Yeah, they want to <laughs> totally relate. <laughs> Turns out I did meet somebody there, wonderful, who changed my life. Still a dear friend of mine. Um, the woman who told me what life coaching was. I had no idea what coaching even was until I met Fix. Um, and I was sort of like, what? That's a thing you can do? Um, yes. <laughs> and yeah, just very inspiring. Um, so it did lead to this chain reaction that ultimately brought me where I am today. Um, but yeah, I just kind of bumped into it by happenstance um, when I was visiting uh, Bali. And yeah, this just the second practice, I want to get these out on the table for everybody. Um, so they have them together is this practice of assuming nothing. And I think it just sounds cute, right? Welcome everything, assume nothing, but you can't actually assume nothing. It's impossible. So the trick here is to get good at noticing the stories that you're telling yourself. Get good at noticing when your biases are influencing your thinking or when some past experience you had is clouding your judgment of the present. Mm. And so the, it's noticing, naming, and dropping those assumptions that's the real skill here. Um, and I coach a lot of leaders at organizations, and this one's super powerful when you bring it to a team, because there's always unexamined assumptions that are influencing the culture of an organization or the expectations or the performance standards, like they're everywhere. Um, and as soon as you highlight them in a relationship, it really breaks down a lot of barriers and gets people to a more authentic and effective place of relating to one another. When you're able to say, hey, I have an assumption that you don't have faith in the quality of my work, or I assume this is going really well, like when it's not. <laughs> 
you yeah, know, yeah. <laughs> like it cuts both ways. Um, so as soon as you name those assumptions and put them in the open and start to really own them, uh, it gets much easier to meet the present as it is. And oftentimes we save ourselves a ton of like emotional energy barking up the wrong tree when we're just operating on an assumption versus totally. like, do we have the strength to be honest with ourselves and name that and maybe start to step out of it. So that's that second practice is assume nothing. Um, the third is to reveal our experience, which doesn't mean that like we need to tell everybody what we're thinking all of the time. It's about being in integrity with our own experience and honest with ourselves and also having like the emotional vocabulary to really describe what's going on. Like I, one of these brilliant people, I, f- I forget the guy's name, but he said, fear is excitement without the breath. I think it was like a French artist said this once. And so that's a great example of like, can you tell the difference in yourself between fear and excitement? Can you check in and get honest with your own experience and say, wow, like, am I nervous right now? Or am I just like feeling jittery and like nerves going into this experience? Or do I have the strength to reveal I'm under-resourced? Like, hey, maybe my kid had the flu last night and I was up till three in the morning instead of the like, no, I just got to grin and bear it. Everybody on the team just expects me to power through, right? How many times have we ignored our intuition or what our body really needs um, in service of just maintaining appearances or looking strong or something like that. And so revealing our experience often means we have the skill and the wherewithal to notice something in us is out of alignment or checking in with our intuition, with our somatic knowing, these deeper layers of wisdom that don't always live in the brain. We've really, really privileged intellect and reason in our culture and Western society. And oftentimes revealing our experience means we need to drop a layer deeper and get in touch with that like nervous system, what's going on kind of deeper down in our body um, to really get clear on what we need. And and revealing it means we have the strength to ask for it in a way that's without judgment and blame, which takes us to the fourth practice, which is own our experience. And owning our experience just means that we're not, we're taking responsibility, right? Our response ability, it's a little bit of a goofy turn of phrase, right? But that is your responsibility is to control your ability to respond. Mm-hmm. So you can't control what happens to you, but you can control how you react to it. And when you're owning your experience, you're really checking in with that because you're giving your power to whatever you blame. You're blaming Bitcoin or your narcissistic boss or the dog that ate your homework, right? Like whatever the thing is that says, I can't do it, check in with yourself around that. How could you claw back a little of your own agency from that thing you're blaming and really take ownership of the way you're responding to it? Um, that really are- hit deep. That, that's such a powerful statement, Gabe. Yeah, it's true because I'm doing it all the time. You're doing it all the time. We all are trying to like outsource our agency to the things around us so that we don't have to take action. Mm-hmm. Because if we can, if we can believe we're out of, con- it's out of our control, we can continue to nurse that little like victim wound that we have and just stay safe and stay small. Mm-hmm. Taking ownership is a big project. Like I have goosebumps right now talking. So do I. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Cause it's like, it's a big deal. If you really commit to this practice, you notice all these ways that you're not taking responsibility for the life you're creating. Just that um, statement and- alone. Like it creates the awareness, the thought, the, the thread that you can start to pull and be like, well, how am I doing that? And I'm thinking to myself, like, this is the moment in my life, like I left my tech job officially a month ago and I'm like, okay, I'm in it. I'm in the throes of looking at my life and trying to dissect the parts that are holding me back. And that is a daunting task. It is terrifying and exciting all at the same time. (laughs) Yeah. It's really, really hard work. Um, And it's really scary. 
And that kind of that fear layer, that fear membrane is often what keeps people in that place of preferring to just outsource it with blame. Um, and sometimes it's too much to take on at once, right? We can't just like, oh my God, that responsibility is too much to bear, right? Mm -hmm. So could you could you take it in, in a way that allows you to create it as a source of strength instead of like overwhelm, right? Because I do think it's important. What's the, to, what's the secret? <laughs> <laughs> um, paying it like really, again, revealing your experience, paying attention to your bandwidth, you know, being compassionate with yourself and knowing mm -hmm. that change is hard and that growth is often nonlinear. Again, that's an assumption that growth is linear, that like, because I did that yesterday, I'll be able to do it tomorrow. And sometimes you can't. Mm -hmm. And and I call it the balance in my coaching where it's like, you sort of move from this place of like, yeah, I'm going to go do this thing. I have a lot of passion and, and skill and talent in this thing. And then you learn all the stuff you didn't even know about it before you started. And then you're like, oh my God, I'm terrible at this. Or this is way harder than I thought. It's like, now you're in the real arena, Right. But like when you started, you had a bunch of assumptions about what it was, and now you know what it actually is. And so that's kind of a hard moment. <laughs> and totally. giving yourself compassion that knowing if it's getting harder than you thought it was, you're probably onto the real thing. Mm. Um, so I think that ownership is important, also balanced with self-compassion. Yeah. Because ownership doesn't always mean like I'm strong and I can handle it. Sometimes ownership means I'm out of my depth or I need to slow down or take yeah. a step back or get support. I like that you said that about maybe I'm out of my depth or where can I get support? Because I do think a lot of times when we are making big life changes, especially when we're trying to prioritize ourselves or the thing that we're pursuing um, for our passion and purpose, it can feel like that's a task that we need to complete on our own. Like that's our mm -hmm. journey. And so we're trying to take full ownership of it. And you can still own your experience and ask for support. And I do think that that's something yes. that is as somebody who had had also a successful career, I think in a lot of ways, the environments that I was in taught me that like, you need to just do it and get it done. And like, yes, you can ask for things or, you know, get support in certain ways, but it also in certain scenarios could dock you, right? Like it could be like, well, that's not the fact that you need to ask for assistance like shows that you don't have like the autonomy or whatever it is that you need to do here. And, um, I think that we often hide from this need for support because we see it as weak or that we're inexperienced. And frankly, maybe we are inexperienced and that's part of why you need to ask for the support because yeah. like, you're not going to know how to do it if you don't ask. And, and we like, as we get older, we're like, well, I'm older now, or I've done this long enough that I shouldn't have questions or be unsure of myself anymore. And, and it's just not the case. Like you said, it's a constant evolution. And that goes for personal lives, our careers, all parts of who we are. Like if it's not evolving, what are you doing? We should never stop growing. Yeah. Right. And wouldn't you rather know the areas where you had a blind spot and work to address them than constantly be like masquerading with imposter syndrome or feeling like you did the other shoes about to drop. Right. Yes. It's like, as a lover of truth, you should be happy to be wrong <laughs> because oh, that means you that. Now, now you have a chance to adjust and recalibrate and build. Um, and so that can be part of that asking for support or admitting a limitation. Yeah. Um, I think especially like in a coming back to the career thing, you know, that, that with a good leader, that will not be seen as a strike against you. That will be seen as like that. Wow. This person's really in integrity and they do want to grow in a way that's mm -hmm. intentional and holistic and is going to ultimately take you to that higher level. Yeah. Um, and I think, like you said, we've been taught not to ask 
you know, or in like kind of gaslight ourselves, be like, you know, it's not that bad, or you should just suck it up. Like that isn't it. Like that isn't ownership of experience does not mean that at all. Ownership of experience means like, Hey, I'm in control of my reaction here. And my need is support. Yes. It's, it's true. And it's not a contradiction. And I really am still learning this lesson because I came from that culture too. Right. Of like, just suck it up or figure out how to handle it. And like, I have a lot of autonomy and independence in my business because I just work for me. I'm a one person shop, but it also means I like really need to seek out those collaborators and those mentors and those sources of greater wisdom so that I can continue to grow and develop because this work doesn't happen in a vacuum either, right? It has to be contact um, with real life in order to be effective. Ooh, I love that. I feel like you've been dropping these really great pearls of wisdom as you've been (laughs) sharing your experience and things that I'm going to walk away from this conversation applying immediately to my thought process, because I do think that it's really easy to kind of introvert when you're doing things by yourself from a business perspective. And even though like I'll consume content from outside, I do find it harder to, um, to like solicit the feedback. Um, because having been in an environment where it's just being given to you, whether or not you want it, whether or not it's valuable, um, I'm almost having this realization as we're talking. It's like, it's funny how that sort of holds me back from asking for feedback now. Yeah, yeah. I I pay somebody to review my calls. That's great. As a coach, I want to know what are my blind spots? Yeah. Just because I like the way the conversation's going and my client is happy with it doesn't mean it's good coaching. (laughs) (laughs) That's fair. (laughs) Maybe the the client being happy with it does mean it's good coaching, but like it could be better coaching. Well, to your point, is it effective? Right. Uh, Like, cause is it effective? Because it might be a good call. They might be happy with the conversation or the feedback that you gave, but this is your website is like effective connection. Right. And I, I love this because that's the point is like, we are conditioned or sorry, we are created as human beings. We are a connective species. We want to embrace collaboration and feel, um, you know, part of something bigger, but we have sort of these embedded either just inherited mindsets and things like that, where we shy away from what actually feels more organically natural and soliciting that feedback or getting, you know, be being part of a group to give you that, um, that type of information that you need. And something that you said earlier reminded me of this thing that I had heard, which is not related to coaching at all, but it was, you know, having a crush is a lack of information. And it made me think about like when you're starting something new and you're like super ambitious and you're like, I'm going to go and I'm going to get this thing done. And then you get in, you're like, shit, there's a lot more here than I expected. Like even just building a Shopify site for my wife. And I'm like, I thought that I understood exactly what I needed to do. And now there's Mm -hmm. this other stuff that I didn't think about. And now I'm like, my timeline has changed and what I can deliver has changed. And so it's like, when you have a lack of information, it's very easy to idealize what you think you can do or who you should be or how you should act. And in reality, it's like, because you're constantly collecting data points, you need to adapt to what that new information is telling you to be more effective at making those connections. Oh yeah. Yeah. I call it scope creep, 
Right. So, like, that's a tech term I'm familiar with. <laughs> yeah, it just like dilates rapidly and you're like, no. Yes. Oh my God. It's so funny. I never really thought about it in that context, but you're so spot on with it. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You think it's one thing, the Instagram versus reality dilemma, right? It yes. just, just morphs as you get into it. Um, but you you were talking a bit about how we're built for connection and relationship too. And that actually ties to the final practice of authentic relating, right? The fifth one which is honor self and other. And that's where I think all of the practices kind of meet in one place. I like to joke, it's like the rug in the big Lebowski. It just like ties the room together, you know? Like yeah. it really does. It is this sort of the place where they these things become manifest in relationship is that balance of honoring self and other. And honoring self means that like, you know, we're aware of, we're revealed, right? We're, we're checking in and welcoming, we're, we're staying open. And honoring other means that we're bringing curiosity, we're dropping assumptions, right? We're, we're taking ownership, we're maybe trying not to blame or judge. So yeah. honor itself is just, you know, boundaries and resources and, and self-knowledge and honoring others is just curiosity and openness and leaning into connection that way. And asking like, what's needed here, right? So what do I need? What do you need? How do these needs meet? Is there any kind of middle ground in our Venn diagram here? Those are really, really powerful practices in relationship uh, is to just have that intention going into it, not viewing things as a zero-sum game, viewing every opportunity as collaboration, not confrontation, right? right? I think that's how we build that that web of relationship because we are built for that connection. But I think a lot of the ways our world is set up works against that, where you're trying to like prove yourself or act in your self-interest or you know, believing that your success comes at the expense of others. Those things yeah. don't have to be true. Right. Um, and so if we're living from that place of seeking to honor self and other, we're not martyring ourselves, right? We're not giving ourselves away. You can't pour from an empty cup, right? So you need to stay resource first. Honoring yourself is the primary practice because you also teach others how to treat you, right? If you're walking around saying yes to everything and having bad boundaries and like not getting your needs met or not even speaking your needs, how could you expect anybody else to treat you better? Yeah. Or to know what you're asking for or what you need. Like, I think we just rely so much on other people being able to anticipate our needs and then get mad about it. Like people are so keen to get mad about something when they haven't expressed what they need or want. Yeah. <laughs> like, that classic, the classic, like, hear what I mean, not what I say. Yeah. You know? yeah. No. <laughs> I'm sorry. I can't do that. Um, but that's what comes from honoring self and others. We get into practice with honoring ourselves and being clear with those needs to model how we want to be treated in relationship. To mm-hmm. others. Um, and so, yeah, those are those five practices at a high level. I just want to give them to everybody again in an overview. It's welcome everything, assume nothing, own, reveal your experience own your experience and honor self and other. And they all kind of thread together, right? It's not like one needs to come before the other. They all kind of happen organically in relationship. And those five practices have been a foundational part of my coaching philosophy and the work I do with teams and organizations. I'm actually running a retreat in Guatemala in November centered around those five practices as tools of community Mm -hmm. leadership. Um, So they're, they're really influential and they have a lot of different ways that they could be applied. There's lots of context for all that. Thank you so much for summarizing them again, because I could not help but interject um, throughout (laughs) trying to explain them. I loved the places you took us in that conversation. (laughs) Thank you. Um, And thanks for going there. You know, something that I feel so connected to in what you're doing also is that 
it requires this aspect of vulnerability and this willingness to go to those places to look at the harder things that we may have not wanted to confront previously. Um, Do you feel like this is something that you've always sort of been geared towards? Have you found yourself that overall throughout your life, you've been more open to that type of vulnerability? Or do you feel like this was also part of your process in getting to that place where you felt like you could open up and expose yourself to like your own inner workings and then also share that with other people? I think it's both. Um, I think I was, I've always had a lot of curiosity Mm-hmm. Um, I would think my second grade teacher like described me as precocious, <laughs> which is just like, you know what I mean? Like I was always like, well, why, what about this? You yeah. Know, I yeah. Always have had this kind of like questing mind. Mm-hmm. And so I think that served me really well in, um, in being curious about my own experience and, and sharing it with others. And I think I also had the benefit of being raised by like an emotionally available father, which mm-hmm. I didn't realize until much later in life was a huge gift to me as a man. Oh, right? I'm sure. Like, I think men are taught to like suppress emotions and not share their feelings and that that's a sign of weakness and they don't really learn about it as much. But I think I, I was raised by just a healthy guy. Um, shout out the nod. Yeah. You know, it's, it's like that taught me it was safe to have feelings. It was safe to talk about them. You know what I mean? It was safe to be revealed in that. And so I do think I had a baseline of, of, you know, good, um, role models in my life that taught me that you can have feelings and that's okay. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think also just being naturally curious had me look inward a lot and say, what's going on? What is this about? But I do think it took a lot of learning to get intentional um, about how I shared stuff. Um, mm-hmm. I remember, I'll never forget it. You know, I was talking about my relationship in San Francisco and in this, this long-term partnership I had, I was driving in the car with um, my ex. And she said to me, you know, you're an expert at unsolicited advice. And I'm like, wow, ouch, you know, like good, good learning. Thank you. Because, because like I, I had to, I had to really learn. Okay, good. I'm good at being revealed. I'm, I'm curious. I'm open. That's not necessarily effective. Is it mm-hmm. right? Coming back to effective connection, not just connection for connection's sake, but being skillful and how I show up, how I share my experience, how I relate to others, how much of my own noise takes up space in the room versus that stillness and receptiveness that's required to make room for someone else, especially someone who doesn't feel as open or as a bit like eager to share as I do. So I do I like think there's been, oh, sorry, go ahead. there's been a learning curve, right? So I think that's the both and answer. I had some good skills and some good mentors, but I also have had to really get intentional, um, with how I show up and express as well. Yeah. I like that you speak to the intention behind it. I think that's unbelievably important. Um, I recognize that through my own experience. And one of the things that you just said that also really hits home is like, not everybody's as eager to share. (laughs) If this podcast isn't a testament to my eagerness (laughs) to just talk and share and, and bring people together through conversation, I don't know what is. I always, when I was younger, I feel, and even in work, especially, I found myself being kind of required to hold back because it was like, a little bit of the mentality of like, don't speak unless spoken to, which was a challenge for me. Um, (laughs) And, and also that it's sort of, you know, 
it did teach me the importance and the value of holding that space, as you said. I also think doing this show gave me a really big opportunity to know when to like sit with it and let somebody else go. Obviously, there are moments where I'm like, oh, I'm so eager. I want to respond right now. But I think that it was funny because the last job that I was working at when I was interviewing, one of the questions that came up sort of was like, well, do you think that, you know, you'll because you are such, I guess, an energy personality, whatever you want to call it, a talker, um, you know, there might be concerns around you know, you kind of offering enough space for people to share, you know, their perspectives or things like this. And I was like, man, really? Like, I think that that's something that especially in a work environment collaboratively, like I want people to have the space. I I thrive on that. I think it's super important to connect through collaboration. And so it, to your point about sort of like shining a light on weak spots, that for me made it so much more apparent how important it was to look at it from the lens of somebody else and understanding that, okay, I'm working in tech. I'm a product manager. I'm working with a lot of people who are introverted. And so the energy that I bring, I understand is very different than the energy that a lot of other people might have and needing to understand how do I bring my full authentic self but also, or, and also make the space for people to bring their full authentic selves, knowing that we may communicate differently or have different needs or expectations from those conversations. And it is a learning curve for everybody involved because you have to navigate those things. And it requires all parties to be open to navigating that together. Yeah. And that's why these, again, I'm going to harp on the authentic relating thing, right? Because I think this is really something that's created a lot of impact for me. Mm-hmm. It really helps when both people have some literacy um, like and are working on themselves because the, that gap can be bridged with skillful communication. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, you can do it like on your own, but I get a lot of participants coming out of my workshops being like, well, how do we do this with folks who haven't been to wizard school? You know, and it's like, you you have to lead in relationship. You have to set the bar. You have to create that space for the other person. Yeah. And one of these really powerful ways to do it that, that links to that final practice around uh, honor self and other is what I've been taught as the platinum rule. Right. Everybody knows the golden rule. Mm-hmm. Treat others as you want to be treated. Right. The platinum rule is treat others as they want to be treated. Wouldn't that be nice? Right. It's like because <laughs> you're the extrovert, you want to share all the information. That other person just like wants to listen. Right. And like you're you're like saying, well, why aren't they blah, blah, blah. But it's like that's your way of being creating an assumption about how they should show up mm-hmm. um, and until we get good at learning other people, slowing down, being curious, understanding and doing the work to really connect with that other person's needs. We can't really be effective in relationship with them because we're always just going to default to giving other people what we want if we were in a similar situation. Oftentimes it's the things we like passively, aggressively feel don't like we don't have permission to ask for. I see the smile on your face of like, yeah, like I'm just giving people what I want to get, but maybe I don't feel safe to ask for. That's what we all do. So the platinum rule requires us to drop all that BS and slow down. 
Because mm-hmm. like, if you wanted to apologize to me and you're buying me like the best vanilla ice cream in Vancouver, but I'm allergic to vanilla, like, yeah, that's cute, but that doesn't really matter, right? If you mm-hmm. had taken the time to find out I love raspberry ice cream and what, you know what I mean? It would have made a huge difference to me. Yes. Your apology would have mattered more. And so we spend so much emotional energy on things that only really matter to us and don't matter to others because we haven't gotten curious first. Yeah, like so you the said, platinum rule can help. I love it. I love the idea of the platinum rule. I think that's amazing. I'm totally walking away with that and and putting it in my back pocket. So I think that's yeah. great. My front pocket. I'm like ready to use that right now. <laughs> right um, I, you know, it makes me think about just in relationships in general too, how important that is. Because when I was in this really toxic relationship previously, and well, when I was exiting it, I should say, and I was in therapy, it was like all I recognized was that I wanted somebody to love me the way that I loved them, not yeah the way you operate in a healthy relationship. That is not the the line that you draw in the sand. You have to find, how do you want to be seen, loved, heard, whatever it is, fill in the blank. And how does that other person want to be seen, loved, heard, communicated with? And we don't ask those questions enough, I think early on in relationship or work environment of any kind, where We just, like you said, it's this idea of, well, this is what I think or what I want or something that I internalize. And now I'm projecting that. And it's not until there's sort of a reaction to that or a response to that, that forces our recognition Mm -hmm. of it to Mm -hmm. change the behavior or force us to go down the path of an uncomfortable conversation. And one of the things that you and I talked about in our first conversation was that we would both rather be uncomfortable for like a brief moment than uncomfortable in perpetuity because it's like, just tackle that. Like if you see it and you recognize it, go there and get, like you said, give people the space. If like, you don't want to force it down somebody's throat, but open the gate so they can come in and they can have that conversation too, instead of feeling like you're dominating the situation with everything that matters to you or how you feel and not allowing them to show up the way that's authentic to them. Yeah. And I think that there's been, I'm glad you brought it to like intimate relationships because at least in the U S there's been a popularization of the concept of the like love languages. Mm -hmm. And I think it's a great example of how different we all are, right. For some people, it's like gifts and, and words of affirmation for other people. It's quality time and acts of service for some it's physical affection. Like what are the things for you that have you feel appreciated and cared for by someone? And that's Mm -hmm. like, you know, you're just going to try to do the thing that you want and then you're going to resent them for not appreciating it. And they're going to feel unmet and like the not listened to by you, right? It just rapidly like gets into this feedback loop of, you know, it's a mess for everyone. Mm-hmm. Versus, like, if we just learn each other first, as you said, early in the relationship um, is a great way to, to address that. And I've actually had to learn the hard way not to push an issue in the moment because that is my preference. Why, as you said, it's your preference. I'm just like, can we just squash the beef? But like that other person might not be like, maybe they're too activated or maybe it's not a good time for them. Or maybe they prefer to have the conversation with a glass of wine in their hand, you know, like whatever it is, it's like, I've had to learn to compromise to say, okay, when can we agree to discuss this? What do you need to feel resourced and prepared for this conversation? I'm willing to meet you there. Mm -hmm. As long as you're going to give me, I realized for me, the important thing isn't resolving the issue. It's just creating clarity. Even yes. if the clarity means we're going to schedule a time to get clarity, that's enough for me to relax. 
Cause I can yeah. like, I can take it out of my brain and just say, we're going to deal with it later. Oh but my if God, you same. just like leave me hanging and like, don't say anything. And I know there's a problem. I'm going to spin out on that until we get to time to be so like revved up <laughs> for our conversation. It's going to make it worse. Like it, it make, makes it worse. <laughs> you will not get me at my best. <laughs> well, because to your point is like the word they use that really uh, resonates with me is activated. Right. Yeah. We're, we're battling emotional dysregulation when we're in those uh, times of conflict or discomfort. And when you learn, as you said earlier in the conversation to listen, like listen to your body, what is it telling you what's happening for you in that moment? It gives you a lot more clarity on how you can respond more effectively. And one of the things that I know that I've gotten so much better at in the last couple of years is knowing that as much as my inclination is solve this problem now, I have to step away so that I can have a more productive conversation. And much like you, I'm like, we got to discuss when we're going to discuss it. That's all I need from you right now. Or like, <laughs> say, or like, let me know. You'll tell me when you're ready to talk about it. But I just need to know that we're not just like anxiously awaiting like that, that other shoe dropping. But when I've gotten to those places of dysregulation where I'm feeling like really fired up and I feel it physically, like tremendously physically. I know that some of the things that I need to do to calm down, it's like, you can go for a walk, you can, you know, go to the gym or do like exert that physical energy somehow in a lot of ways. But the other thing that I do, so I have a standing desk that like can go up and down and it has a hammock underneath it. And sometimes I just rock myself back and forth in my hammock. (laughs) So you're modeling honor self beautifully in this conversation, Thank right? You. It's like you've learned what you needed and you give it to yourself so that you can show up well-resourced for, you know, those tougher moments. I think those are great examples of like, what does this look like in practice? Yeah, know thyself and honor thyself. And it's like, if it means a hammock today and a gym session tomorrow, that's great. You're meeting yourself where you're at. Yeah. And I'm also jealous of your desk now. (laughs) I'll put a link in the show notes. Um, I'm like, I need to join an affiliate program because I will promote this all day long. When I saw that they had the hammock, I was like, I need that. (laughs) Sold. Sold. Um, And, you know, I think that one of the things that you really bring to the work that you're doing that I can just tell through this conversation is that ability to meet people where they're at and to share in their experience in a way that is so non-judgmental. And it's just, um, I want to say objective, but as you said, not in like a dissociative way, but it gives you the opportunity to observe and understand and create more of an open dialogue and a safe dialogue for people. Because I think so much of what we're challenged by in our personal lives and our professional lives, I was actually having a conversation with somebody the other day. It was like, they're the same thing. And like, okay, I guess they are. Mm-hmm. Um, so in our lives <laughs> um, is this feeling of I'm alone or um, if I am talking to somebody about it, it's exposing this part of me that I don't want people to see. And so one of the things that I have learned myself is just so critical is expressing that there's a safe space for people and letting them know that, you know, you have the ability to share as much or as little as you want to share, but I'm a resource for you to lean on, to share with, or to just sit with if you need the presence of mind. And so um, when you're working with clients, uh, what is it that, I guess, what does it typically look like to set up the conversation with people that you're having, um, you know, this interaction for the first time to help give them that sense of safety? 
You mean like what are the expectations I set for like the the coaching container? Yes. I'm going to rephrase that question because that was a rambling mess of me trying to get it out of my head. Um, Yeah. So when you, when you're starting with clients for your coaching business, what is it that, how do you approach that in a way that gives them sort of the freedom to go at the pace that makes sense for them? Yeah. Yeah. I really try to frame the relationship as um, we're co-pilots. I think especially people who have never been in coaching before, more traditional forms of support like therapy often have a like a pretty stark power differential between the coach and client. Like therapist is the one who's gone to grad school and learned all the fancy brain science and clients, the one with like a big problem or needs fixing. And that's not the dynamic I try to create in a coaching container. It's much more like we're collaborators in service of your unfolding and your development and your growth. And I'm here like as, again, like a co-pilot, right? I'm here as a compassionate mirror. I'm here just with you, holding you and maybe holding you in ways that you don't feel comfortable holding yourself. Like, it's kind of like I use the metaphor of like holding a door open for someone to make it easier for them to walk through. Mm. Like I'm seeing the strength and the potential in you in ways that you feel struggle to own. It's like, I can own it for you and let you believe it slowly through exposure and contact with it but from me, right? So like, I really try to create more of a parity between me and my clients in terms of like, we're here as peers and collaborators instead of like, I'm some like special wise man who has come down from the mountain to give you all the wisdom and knowledge. Like, I don't know how to live a life. Like people say, like, oh, you're a life coach. Yeah. You're 36 years old. You've lived a bunch of life, right? Haven't you? It's like, that's not what I'm doing. You know, I'm not, I'm not a life consultant, you know, I'm not a guru, right? So I'm not here with the Pez dispenser of universal wisdom, just handing out little candies. It's, it's really about a process of excavation and uncovering rather than construction and creation. We're just digging into your experience to reveal what's already there, to, to, to unearth and connect you with those resources that you already have, because you're already whole. Nobody's broken. I really believe that nobody is broken. What we're doing is we're just integrating. And that mm-hmm. word integrare comes from the Latin, which means to make whole again, right? It just implies that that link has always been there and we're just recreating the connections. So that's the space I try to open for people in my coaching work is like the belief that you already have the resources you need, the belief that you're already whole and we're not here to fix you, the belief that I'm just a collaborator and a reflector and a like co-processor for you, like a thought partner, I'm just a spare brain for you to plug into and kind of have some stuff reflected back to you. But I'm not here to like tell you what to do. I'm not here to do it for you, right? I'm not here to diagnose or pathologize you. I'm really just here to open up space for honest reflection and conversation about what's in the way and how do we connect you to more of what you need. Uh, So beautiful, Gabe. And I love that you said I'm a believer that we are whole and that we don't need to be fixed or we're not broken. Because when you made the comment about the therapist dynamic, and I understand completely what you're saying um, in terms of like the power dynamic and the way that we approach those things sort of as a society. But I am very lucky. I have a therapist where I recognize the dynamic because she knows way more about my life than I know about hers by design. She's very ethical and I appreciate that. Um, But it also does create that dynamic um, that there's more discrepancy in that than there is in um, a, a coach of sorts. But what I do think in the ideas like 
I'm not going there to be fixed. You're not going to a coach to be fixed. You're going there to, like you said, uncover these parts of yourselves. I love the word excavate. And I literally was just on a call this morning with another guest speaking about reintegration and and Carl Jung and the whole concept of self-actualization into adulthood and recognizing that we have let go of parts of ourselves that we do truly want to hold on to and that we believe are solid parts of our being, but we've been conditioned out of, or we've taken a path that has led us away from that. And uh, what comes to mind as we're kind of like getting closer to the end of the conversation is that you in 2017, like you felt that you recognized like you weren't integrated and you saw this chance for you to take what you've learned in your life and understanding who you are and learning more about who you are to combine all of that into where you are now and then to help other people do the same. And it's just such a wonderful marrying of your journey with the journey that you are taking with your clients. And it's just really, I'm in awe of how like, I know that your process was not seamless, so it's probably not the right word to use, but it, it feels seamless in the way that it comes together so naturally. Thank you. Yeah, I think it 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 has to be at least coherent, if not seamless. For there you go. Yeah, coherent. <laughs> yeah, and like I said, you want to be a product of your product. Um, and also want to acknowledge that like I had to do a lot of work to get to the point where I was ready for that and that there is actually... Um, you know, I've had a therapist too in the past and I'm not disparaging that body of work at all in the way I'm framing coaching. I'm just trying to create a contrast for people to understand what's different. Sometimes we do want somebody to be the expert. We do want someone to come in and kind of tell us and guide us a little bit more, um, through difficult stuff. And as a coach, I'm also trained to refer out, like when I see symptoms of mental illness, that's outside of my scope of practice. I have a network of therapists that I work with who are coaching informed that I can send people to. And I'm like, hey, that seems like it's, you know, something that that's giving like me an idea there might be depression or anxiety here that that with it with those things really in the way some of those like behavioral challenges or mental disorders in the way, it can be hard to get the benefits from coaching. For sure. there, There are people who are a fit and there are people who are not a fit at this time for the coaching process. It exists on a spectrum. Mm-hmm. Um, whereas like there are people who are working in like, you know, the healing and repair side, and then there are people who are working on the expansion and growth side. And that's really where I see my work is more on that expansion and growth side. Um, but they're allies, right. And we can go in and out of both. Sometimes we can be in a coaching process for a while and feel like, you know what, I need to address that in therapy. And I actually had that happen to me with a coach once I was coaching with somebody, she was coaching me and something came up in the session. She's like, that's trauma. And I'm going to refer to you to a friend of mine who's a specialist in this area. And I did some EMDR therapy with this trauma specialist that like blew my mind and changed my life. But it came out of a coaching session of saying like that part feels different. Energetically, there's a different signal there. And so a good coach will actually be humble enough to, to say something like that of like, this is not part of my scope of practice. And there's another resource that might support you in that. I'm so glad you brought that up. Thank you for sharing that and for going down that path because I, just to be clear, I didn't think you were disparaging um, the therapy dynamic. I don't know that you interpreted it that way, but I just want to be clear I didn't on my get that end. from you. I'm just- I'm like, I'm otherwise, like I'll hold on to that anxiety and that's who I am as a person. <laughs> um, so- um, don't worry. I have covered that in therapy, hence my regarding it. Um, but, <laughs> I, but I think that that's such a, really, 
you stated it very well to say that there's an allyship there and also that it's really important to recognize when it's out of the scope or the um, area of expertise, perhaps. And I love that you have a network of people that you can refer to as well, because I imagine, you know, a lot of people probably get started in coat, like thinking that they want a coach or, or knowing that they need a coach and then it does lead to these other revelations or realizations about ourselves that requires you to go somewhere else with that. And so however you get to these various parts of your journey, I think this gets back to one of the first things that you said, which is being open to the experience, like let it be what it is. Don't try to make it something. Just know that whatever path you are on right now, if you are doing that with integrity and with open-mindedness and a desire to grow and or heal, then like trust the process a little bit. And it's hard. Like it's so much easier said than done because I think you and I have both been in those moments where you're like, this is what is happening. Like, what is my life? It's, it's exploding everywhere, but it's in those moments that I've found the most amount of growth and gratitude. Yeah. Once you make it through. Yeah. And yeah. That feels like the nonlinear experience I have in my growth where it's like, it's just, there's oscillations, there's natural cycles to things. For sure. Um, and that honoring self requires, we be compassionate with that and accepting hardest that it, thing, hardest yeah, thing to do. One of the, I always ask that, like, what's the hardest practice for you? And it's, yeah, the assuming nothing and that, honoring self can be, can be really challenging sometimes. Yeah. I think not having compassion for ourselves is so debilitating. And for me, I see it as like, there's such a self-awareness of it. Like I know that I struggle with that and I'll have moments where I'm like, I'm not giving myself grace or I need to be more compassionate. And one of the things that's helped me in those moments too, is having the thought around like, well, how would I handle this if somebody else were sharing this with me? Like, what would I say to somebody else and sort of extract your own, you know, bias towards like, I don't, I, I can't handle this or I don't need to give myself grace. I, you're inherently tough on yourself. Like you wouldn't do that to somebody else. And and the the way, right. And the moment that really changed that for me was when I was dealing with some things in therapy that came up and it was sort of like, clearly this is like a childhood wound. And I ended up getting in like a very like superficial uh, conflict with my partner about something related to the website that I was working on. And I wrote down my feelings through the lens of like, if my, if I was having this discussion with my five-year-old niece, like how would I approach it? And I was like, this is such a moment of growth for me. And so it wasn't just like going through that practice and recognizing like, this is how I could approach this. And so I can understand more why I'm feeling what I'm feeling, but also just to have the moment of pause where it's like, this is how I should handle it so that I can even get to a place of processing it. And so like, I, I find that if we can't give ourselves that compassion or grace in the moment, sometimes a good way of looking at it is like, well, how would I offer that to somebody else? And sometimes it allows you to give it back to yourself. Yeah. And it kind of in reverse, like, would you ever speak to somebody else the way you speak to yourself? No, not if I, not if I wanted people to like me. Yeah. How many, (laughs) how many friends would you have if you talk to other people the way you talk to yourself? 
it's like really, yeah, it would never work. And so that's a good thing to recognize too, is like noticing when that inner monologue is just really toxic and kind of getting curious about what's behind that, you know, and like, what does that part of you need to feel regulated and safe and kind of grounded again? Um, part of my work in coaching is this concept of like allies and saboteurs and often the sources of our, like our greatest strengths are also, there's a polarity or a shadow side of it. That's a, a real source of challenge for us. Right. So like if you're really empathetic and compassionate, you might also be a people pleaser, right? If you're really achievement oriented and good, at getting stuff done. You might also be a perfectionist or really anxious, right? It's like, there's mm -hmm. all these ways that that superpower becomes like an Achilles heel with just a flip of a switch. And so paying yeah. attention and learning that inner monologue and saying like, wow, this voice is feeling really harsh and judgmental or whatever right now. What is this connected to for me? What, what value is being stepped on here? What, what's being dishonored mm. in myself that I could really look at, like maybe giving myself a little cup of that compassion or encouragement to sort of like calm that voice a bit. Um, yeah. This is kind of like getting into parts work and it's a different kind of theory. But it's really, really cool if we get really honest with ourselves. And some of my favorite people to work with are folks with really visual imaginations because we'll like create little avatars and like characters around these voices. It's like, this one's like an Oscar the Grouch kind of guy. And this one's just like my really, really mean aunt, you know, like <laughs> this one's like, you know, just like a, like, or like a Cruella de Vil kind of character, you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. Archetypes. And then they become characters we can almost interact with like in a dialogue or a role play. Yeah. Uh, that can be really productive and powerful work for people because they realize all the ways that they're just playing a game with this part of themselves that just is looking for a little love or tenderness or whatever it may be. Yeah, absolutely. Oh my gosh, Gabe, I just love your philosophy, the way that you are doing the work that you're doing and how open you are to sharing the experience. I am so appreciative. As we're rounding out the conversation here, I would love if you want to share any last words of wisdom and where people can follow you to find out more about what you're doing with your coaching or reach out. Yeah, um, I'll share a few quotes that I really love that I've been working with a lot. Um, the first is, love is the quality of attention we pay to things. Uh, it's a quote from J.D. McClatchy, and I found it when I was writing a ceremony for my friend's wedding, and it's become this philosophy that sort of like informed my whole life, like, Love is the quality of attention we pay to things. So what's the quality of attention we're paying to ourselves or to our work or to our loved ones? But I think that quality of attention and that the, the, our awareness is like the greatest resource we have. It's not our time. Everybody thinks time's our greatest resource. I think our attention's our greatest resource. So like mm. really thinking about how intentional are we with that, particularly in relationship, um, can be really powerful. And gratitude changes everything. Um, I know it's silly, but like, if you find one thing to be grateful for every day, it can really make a big difference. Um, I had a friend who was really struggling in his career and just started a gratitude journal and was like, I don't even need to quit my job anymore. I feel great. <laughs> so it's like, maybe you don't need to burn your life to the ground like I did to really find something meaningful. Maybe it's just a subtle shift in perspective. You know, not everybody's going to like quit their job and run away to Bali, whatever it may be. Maybe you just need to find a way to cultivate gratitude and intentionality in your life. And that can bring a lot more meaning without needing to start from scratch. I think I did it the hard way. Um, and I know it makes for a great podcast, but I actually don't think it's the best way to go about it. <laughs> I think you can create a lot more meaning and purpose for yourself just by finding things to be grateful for and connect with on a daily basis, even if they're small. 
Um, it really adds up. And if people want to get in touch with me, um, I'd love to hear from folks. I'm active on the interwebs. Um, I use Instagram at FunGabe, which is F-U-N-N-G-A-B-E. It's mostly post about mushrooms, but I occasionally post about coaching. Um, and on my website, as you mentioned, EffectiveConnection.com. I can even give you a link to put in the show notes for someone who wants to book a free session with me. I love just having introductory, no strings attached conversations with people. Yeah. Um, so that could be a resource as well. And if you are interested in the authentic relating stuff, I have a retreat coming up in Legatilan, Guatemala, um, November 9th to 19th, 2023. Uh, it's called the Human Mycelium Retreat. And we're basically taking the inspiration of fungi as these great connectors of forest ecosystems and giving human beings the tools to be the human mycelium in their webs of communities. So how do you create intentional relationships? How do you build alliances and share resources? How do you bring more of your light and your gifts to the world? That's the work we're all going to be doing together in the context of this beautiful cloud forest on the shores of this incredible volcanic lake in Guatemala. Um, at a retreat center that I've had a relationship with for years, Fungi Academy. Um, mm. And they teach people how to grow mushrooms and we're going to have some foraging components, get out in the woods and look for mushrooms together. We're going to have some ceremonial stuff. There's even the opportunity to participate um, in a psychedelic journey as a group at the end of that experience. So that's going to be a really powerful container and a really, really fun retreat coming up in just a few months. Very cool. Yes. I will add all of the things to the show notes that you mentioned and definitely feel free to share any of the information about the retreat that I can help support. I, before we sign off here, I just want to say thank you so much. And that your comment about the importance of gratitude is something that is, I believe in to such an extensive level. Um, for me, it came out of therapy when I was dealing with a lot of anxiety. And my therapist said to me, gratitude and anxiety can't exist in the same moment. So when you're Ooh. feeling really anxious and you're ruminating, because I dealt with like a lot of rumination, Ooh. she was like, just start naming things that you're grateful for. It can be like, I'm grateful for the chair that I'm sitting on. So I'm not on the ground. I'm grateful for my sunglasses. So the sun's not in my eyes and just keep listing them. And it will pull you out of that like negative mind state. Mm. And one of the things that my wife said to me, and I didn't even understand it until she pointed it out to me was she's like, you live in gratitude. And I'm like, that's so interesting because I never in my life would I have recognized that. Um, so to have somebody point it out to me and then be able to be so aware of it and conscious of it and then make it more of a practice because I was already kind of, I formed a habit around it more organically because of what my therapist had said. And I was like, this is great. Let's get rid of the anxiety. But it really is um, something that I continue to tell other people at, is an important way of connecting with yourself and, and grounding yourself. And one of the things that I do um, like on sort of a physical mantra level is like, I will, um, the thing that I've recognized for myself is that like gratitude, love and joy equal inner peace for me. And so like yeah. when I'm feeling really anxious or wanting to connect and feel more present, I'll kind of like tap my chest and kind of go like gratitude, love and joy. And just like kind of repeat that until I feel like more connected and centered. Um, and that has helped me tremendously. So I am with you a huge proponent of practicing gratitude in whatever ways feel right for you. Mm, I love that, Nikki. You gave me a little gift to take away that like gratitude and anxiety can't coexist. And I think that's so true. I've never heard it stated so clearly, but I love that. 
Right. I'm like, that is the best. If, if I got nothing else, which I've gotten a ton from therapy, I'm like, that was the thing that like changed the game for me. And I'm just yeah. so appreciative of that and so appreciative of your time, Gabe. I can't wait to chat again. But in the meantime, gang, you can catch Gabe at effectivecommunication.com and we'll share it Connection.com. Did, did I say effective connection? Effectiveconnection.com. Yeah. I think you said effectivecommunication.com. Oh, I'm sorry. Ooh. All right. Okay. Get that right, Nikki. Uh, <laughs> effectiveconnection.com where you can find Gabe and um, we'll put a link in so you can chat with him if you're interested in a free consult and get to know more about what Gabe's doing. In the meantime, thank you so much, Gabe and gang. That's all for this episode of Who the Fuck? We'll catch you on the flip side. Thanks, Nikki. Thanks everyone for listening. Thanks for listening to Who the Fuck? And if you like what you hear, share the show with your friends, family, coworkers, or anyone else you think needs a healthy dose of introspection and raw authenticity. Feel free to rate and review wherever you get your podcasts. It's always appreciated. And you can also visit whothefck.com to keep up to date with what's new in my world and for exclusive bonus content. Welcome to Ringside with Ray and Prince. My name is Ray Leonard Jr. Oh, that's no, that's just my dad. My name is Prince Daniels Jr. Daniels again with a big hole. On this show, we come to humanize athletes, entertainers, business executives. We're going to see what makes them tick. Tuesdays, 10 a.m. Pacific time on Spotify, Apple, Amazon, and wherever you get your podcasts. We'll see you there. Peace and power. Electric acid. Welcome to Sarah Talk Solutions. Ladies and gentlemen, you've tuned into a bit of a different type of show. I'm Sarah B and I'm your host. You can find me on my IG, which is Aussie underscore Sarah underscore LA. I talk about amazing, relevant conversations and topics and what functions that goes on in this magical, wonderful, wonderful city of the City of Angels. My IG, which is Aussie underscore Sarah underscore LA. Electric acid.